Morning, everybody, again. I got the privilege this morning of being able to share something from my heart with you all. And just to let you know, Tim and Paula are just uh, taking a bit of time out. So they've taken a day off to just have some time as a family. So we willingly left them, let them go. God is doing great things there. He's merciful, He's kind, He loves everybody. And again, I'm just reminded once again of the love of God. And I took a photograph while we were singing there of some of the words that we sang. And I just want to remind you that second to last song, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven. King of kings calls his own beautiful savior. I'm yours forever. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The next one goes on to say, Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. And I just want to remind us again that the buried body of Christ has began to breathe. And he began to breathe once again because he wants your life to breathe once again. And I feel deeply in my heart that there are people over here who are not sure where they stand with the Almighty. Perhaps you've got a fear of God. Perhaps you don't know who this God is. Perhaps you're not 100% sure of what it means to say, I will surrender to you, God. Maybe you've just grown up and you're just completely daunted by this God. Maybe he'll strike me with a stick. I want to tell you this morning that the Christ that we serve is loving and kind. And this morning he wants to know, wants you to know, that he wants to live inside of your heart. He wants to make himself complete inside of you. He wants you to have the fullness that he has for you. Not what you can do. Not what gifts and talents that you have. But only what he can have. And this morning, some of you need to settle inside of my life. Perhaps you live one day. You come to church and you, you, you're convicted and you feel the presence of God and you feel the life of God, but life happens as you walk out of this room. Jesus says, I don't want to just be one day a week with you. I want to be every day of the week with you. And we'll learn from what I have to share this morning that God does not require perfection. He doesn't wait. He's not waiting for you to make the decision to say, okay, right, I'm going to get my life right. He wants to get into your life and he will make your life right. Too many of us are sitting around and saying, when I'm ready, I can't give this up yet. My life is too distorted. I have too many distractions. I'm suffering with this. This controls my life. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is saying, bring me into your life and I will bring the change that needs to come. I want us to close our eyes. And I know this is completely abnormal. Normally we do it at the end of the preach, but I just feel strongly in my heart. If you feel that you, this morning that there's a tugging inside of your heart and you're saying, Jesus, I want you. I need you in my life. I need your presence. 
And I know there's some, maybe one person, maybe a few. Perhaps you have committed your life to Jesus and perhaps you're just not feeling that you, you, you're living the way you want. This morning, we're going to pray a prayer. And I want us to pray together. Father, we thank you for your loving Jesus. I thank you that you came and died on the cross for me. I thank you this morning as I sit in my chair, I can be free. I ask you, Jesus, to come live inside of my life and to refresh me and renew me. I am a sinner, but I want you. I need you. Change my life from a once-a-week Christian to an everyday person that I'd serve you with fire and vigor and energy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This morning, as you'll see, we're going to be doing the communion as well. And I mean, I think that just reiterates the importance of what Jesus has done for us. And so, really, again, I always come up here and I get detoured completely. And so I'm going to continue to stay detoured because I just want to rather lead with what my heart is telling us and where we need to go. And really, I wanted to just share a bit of a story because... Uh, Bronwyn said to me the other day, she says, you always seem to lean towards the Old Testament. And I'll tell you why I lean towards the Old Testament. is because I see such an incredible, if you want to know who your father is, the God of this world, the Lord of all lords, read the Old Testament. Because it is a, clue, a true representation of who God is. His holiness, his kindness, his love. His patience that he has for mankind. But you also see a side of him. His wrath. How much he despises and hates sin. You see, often we forget that. And we forget because we come from this, let's call it, charismatic sort of jumper for joy sort of environment. Where we forget, actually, the God that we serve is a just and holy God. And he cannot tolerate sin. It can't be with him. It can't be around him. That's why the angels sit in the heavens daily, daily shouting out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because they're continually filling that place, that environment, with the, the, the bold statement of who God is. And so I love the Old Testament because it's such good stories about how we are as human beings. Let me tell you something. The people of old are no different to the people today. I'm no different to the way the Israelites were there. I mumble, I murmur, I groan, I complain. I shake my fist to my God when things don't seem to work out how I want them to work out. And I'm sure every one of you will say there's been a time in your life that you've shaken your fist to God. Because we can't see the big picture. And the Bible is filled. You see, we've got the privilege of being able to read this and to understand the fullness of what the Old Testament has to say and the stories of God. But what happened in those times is, I tell you what, they saw little snippets at a time. And great, devastating things happened in the lives of people, character people in God, challenges that they had to face every single day, but they didn't see the outcome. 
God has blessed us so much that he can show us the outcome of what we do if we take the wrong path and what will happen if we take the right path. And so this morning, I really just want to encourage us to understand our Father. And he so desires and so wants you and me to choose the right path in everything we do. And yet he knows that we will also choose the wrong path. And he doesn't throw in the towel. He's very gracious. If we look at the hand of God in the Old Testament of where he just said, no more will I tolerate this. It didn't just happen one day he woke up. He was patient. He was loving. And he was kind. He gave clear direction, clear steps on how we need to walk, where we need to go, what we need to do. And ultimately, man made their choice. And of course, the consequence of whatever he had for them took place. God's loving kindness. So just to, 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 to give you a, a sliver, something, I don't know what I'm going to tell you there. I think I lost my thoughts there. But I just wanted to tell you in Jeremiah. So I wanted, this morning I'm talking about walking free. You know, we've listened to Tim over the last little week, a couple of weeks, I think three weeks now, that he's been talking about people dealing with depression and that lowness in your life. And of course, I'm not here to share on that because he'll continue with that series because he's doing such an incredible job and God's really gifting him with the right words and, and people's lives are changed. I must tell you, there are people from all over the show. Our lives are being changed. They're walking and saying, I heard somebody told me I need to listen to this. And out of the blue, they'll phone him and say, listen, I listened to what, what you had to say. It set me free. That's what the scripture and the life of Christ is about, setting us free. So I'm not really going to do, but it's sort of tied in a little bit. Because it's part of the process of walking free in Jesus. God will go to the end of the earth that you would walk free. He doesn't want you just to continue in the way you've always done it. He wants you to walk free. So I wanted to just share this scripture in Jeremiah. It said, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. We all love the scripture. It says, For I know I have plans. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you hope. Now, we all love that because we all want that. Plans that are good. God's going to give me good plans. Not of disaster. A future and hope. We all want hope. But I want to say to you, that's the promise that God has for you. There's a journey that you and I have to travel to fulfill that promise. To walk in that promise. And sometimes the journey that we have to follow is not very pleasant. I don't know if any of you have had unpleasant journeys in your life. It's not the best. But God will work, as I said to you, to the ends of the earth to bring the change that he wants in your heart. And so if it means taking you on a journey that will teach you things and lessons and hardships, he will do that because that's how much he loves you. 
See, the hardships and the things that we go through are not for, for, for any benefit, but that he would get the glory. That when, 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 when Vilma is transformed and something is learnt inside of her heart, and she suddenly realizes that through this, God is teaching me this, and that becomes a revelation in life. She changes, but for God's glory, not for her own. Why? Because he wants perfection in her, like he wants perfection in me and in you as well. So we live those scriptures. We live by those scriptures to say, that's what I want. Jeremiah, Woo! that's a beautiful scripture. I pray that over my life every single day. But are we ready to walk the road to see that road fulfilled? You see, I'm going to take you back to a story. I'm going to summarize it very quickly, but we know the story of Joseph, sold as a slave. Brothers sell him off. He goes off. He goes into Egypt. He goes through all the hardships. God brings him through all those hardships, and he becomes number two in the land of Egypt. Basically, he was the governor who almost ran the entire Egypt. He saved Egypt from famine. Because God gave him the wisdom and God gave him the direction. And because of that, God honored him and God honored his family. And we see Jacob leaving, uh, leaving Canaan at that stage. Because, of course, there was famine in that land as well. And so there was famine all over the show. So to save God's people, God says, I'll bring you in to this land of Egypt. And the, the 70 family members come into Egypt and they, they, they settle into Egypt, and they become part of the society, and they become part of what, what takes place over there, and they have favor over their lives. <coughs> God tells them to multiply, and they begin to multiply, and there's favor on their lives, and everything they do works well. The Pharaoh, the king of the land at that stage, was so grateful for what Joseph had done, and how it helped them, and God had worked in their life, that they received all that favor. For 430 years, they lived in Egypt. And there were just some thoughts on that whole process. And I'll highlight some of those thoughts to you now, but I just want to keep the story going. So for 430, they live, they, 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 they live there. Eventually, two generation, three generations pass by, and three different kings, pharaohs, come, uh, come into power. Eventually, the last one that comes in he has no recollection of who Joseph was. He can't remember the story. The story hasn't filtered through of what great things that God had done through the life of Joseph and, and, and the victory in Egypt's life. Eventually, instead of seeing the, the Israelites as just a people living there, and there, he sees them as a threat. And so they begin to take them in and enslave them. Because at that stage, the Bible says there were about 3 million of them. So they started from 70 and in 430 years, there were about 3 million living in, 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 in the land of Egypt. And he separates them and puts them into the land of uh, a, a separate part of Egypt called Goshen. Goshen, I think it is. And that's where they had to live. But they were living under turmoil because what happens? They become slave and they become held captive. And this slave master of them, the pharaoh of the day, drives them harder and harder and harder. And the Bible says eventually the cries of the Israelites reaches his ear. His ear. Now trust me, he was hearing everything long before that. 
But there came a time where the cries were so heartfelt and so deep within them, he heard. And God said, now it's time for my people to be set free. And we understand that that journey of freedom took a long time because, of course, Moses is raised up through that time. Moses comes through. He's saved as a little boy. He goes into the house of Pharaoh. And we know all that story. I don't want to go too much detail. But in, anyway, Moses leaves. God speaks to him in the bush. He comes back with Aaron. And he speaks into the, into the life of Pharaoh, saying, my people need to leave because they need to go and worship their God. I found that very interesting because God favored them in the land of Egypt. But at the same time, you suddenly hear God saying, they need to leave because they need to worship me. How does that work? Surely they worship God where they were. You see, sometimes, and this is one of the lessons, I'm going to just show you some of the lessons that I learned. Sometimes the blessing of God brings you to a place but we overstay the welcome. You see, Egypt was for a season. It was never their destiny. It was never where they were promised. In fact, Jacob was promised right back earlier. And he actually, he speaks over the, his sons. And he said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I promised them a land. And that was the land of Canaan. The promised land. I promised them this. That's where you will live. But what happens is we become comfortable in the environment we're in. God blesses us. God does something. And we forget, honestly, of what God has done and where he's leading us to. And so for 430 years, they lived there. Until such a time that things had to happen that got a little bit hot under the pants. And so they got a little bit hot and the slavery happened and the beatings happened and the, the turmoil happened. And eventually they cry out to our God again. And God begins the process of moving them out. I want to say to you and me, let's never be too comfortable in the place of blessing. Because it's for a season and for a time. Let's not camp and stay there to say, well, God did it this way. That's how we're going to stay. God is moving. He's progressively always push us forward. If you serve the same God that I serve, you will know that he doesn't want me or you to stay where you are today. He wants you to move forward. Learn the lessons. Enjoy the blessings. Take hold of that. Take hold of the rest because it's those moments in time that he gives you the rest that you need to push forward. But let's not camp where he doesn't want us. He intends a promised land for you and me. Something bigger something greater. Just by the way, as you well know, that promised land didn't turn out to be everybody's dream. Twelve spies, only two saw the vision and only two entered. There's another warning for us to say, God sometimes puts something for you. He's got something beyond where you are now. What are you doing? How are you seeing that beyond? Are you taking hold of it just now and saying that's great? But when it comes to seeing what he's got for you, you say, mm -mm, too many giants, mm -mm, too much hard work. Because that promised land that God had for them was not an easy road. 
It was battle after battle. Conquering and holding, taking over. But as they progressed, they left the trail of God's blessing. Because when that first city fell, they didn't just leave the city. They would have left people behind who would have managed the city. Then they would have gone to the next city. That was Jericho. And then they went to Ai. And as they progressed, they left the legacy behind them. And God wants you to leave a legacy behind because he's got something far greater for you. A deeper purpose. And so just going through that and looking through some of those those points and, and just summarizing that story. I can tell you one thing, just a quick one. I remember going on a trip once before, uh, many, many years ago. I was probably about 24 or somewhere around there, 23 or something. I went overseas and I was, one day I was living in Wales. I was busy working there and I just, I went past a shop and, and in the shop window they had what they call at that stage a Euro rail, which was Basically, you, buy one tra- you, buy, you pay one fee and you can go on all the trains through the whole of Europe. So the trains and the ferries. You could just travel throughout Europe free of charge because you paid this one fee. And I suddenly thought, hmm, that looks nice. So I walked in and I bought the ticket. A week later, I was on the ferry going across uh, the, the, the canal, uh, channel to France. Everybody thought I was mad. My family that I was staying with over there thought, you're crazy. Who wants to go and travel in another country, a whole lot of countries, all by yourself. Somehow I thought and had a peace in my heart, this would be something fun. And honestly, it was probably one of the best times of my life because I literally climbed onto that ferry and went across the channel to Calais. And from there, I went to Paris. And my first experience, I got to Paris, I, I, at those days, there was no cell phones, there was no internet like we have it today, and all of those fancy things like you had Google to tell you the direction. I had a book about that size, Traveling Europe for Dummies. It worked for me. And in that book, it would kind of tell you when you got to, when you got to Paris, this is where you need to go, you get hold of, this is the street address, you go to this place, that would be a, a backpackers. And man, I was excited. I got there to the backpackers and they were full. So I thought, no, I'm going to do my first night, I'm going to be sleeping on the street. (laughs) This is not cool. It wasn't so great. So I asked them, where to go? They told me to go play another backpackers. (coughs) I went to the other backpackers, they were full as well. Now you're despondent. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) You're like, I might as well just catch the train, the the ferry back again across the channel and go back to, to where I was. And eventually I found a little place it was a hotel. And when you travel like that, you just, you're just free. There's just no... So I landed up staying in a hotel room with six other people. We were like, some of us on the floor, some of us on the beds, but that's how we did it. And the most amazing thing, the only time... I traveled for about a month and a half. The only time I traveled alone was the trip from London to Paris. The rest of the time, I traveled with strangers. Six of us shared the room. There was a Canadian, an Australian. Uh, there was a, a German guy. And, and, and there was a whole lot of us. I can't remember who, but the six of us. And we traveled for four days. We traveled Paris flat. All the sites, did all the little things in the trinket shops and all of that sort of thing. The other thing is, I must tell you, that I went with no money. Like, I think at that stage, I was traveled for a month and a half on a thousand pounds, 
So, I mean, what is that? Okay, in rands now, it's probably about 250,000, you know, the exchange rate, the way it is, you know. But, but at that stage, it was still like about six to one. So it was only about like, so I, I really was eating baked bean tins and, you know, I had a little cooker and I used to cook my tin of thing and eat a, a roll and all that sort of thing. So I didn't look like this. I was scroll at that stage, so it was fine. But I traveled the journey and it was a great journey. And I traveled with a mix and match of people. I learned such great things, and it was a wonderful time. Anyway, there's a, there's a good side of a journey. But sometimes we, there's journeys that we have to travel that are not so good. Because God needs to teach us those lessons that we need to learn. And I want to say to you, those lessons that we have to learn are for one benefit. Is that he wants to change and transform you into the better person. You see, those little things that you're sitting around with and that are tweaking you and that are agitating you and that anger issues that you're dealing with just fly off the handle. God's saying, I want to deal with those things. You know what I found amazing about this? And it follows through to your salvation. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he never asked them to change first. He took them out. When Jesus came on the cross and said, your sins are forgiven, he didn't wait for you to change and say, I'm going to be a better person. He said, no. Join me and I'll change you. God took the Israelites on that journey to change them. He freed them first and then he changed them. The love of Christ will free us first and then start the process of transformation. Some of us are like, oh, I'm carrying all this load. He's saying, trust me first, and you'll walk the road of freedom. The church was birthed birthed like that. The book of Acts. God didn't say, here's the structure for how the church must be. He said the church started there. And only later on did he put the structure of how the church needs to operate. And you see Paul bringing in all the guidance and the direction. See, God wants us to join him first, and then he'll bring the change. I thought that was incredible for me, because too often I'm holding back. I'm stopping what he has for me. I haven't gone through any of my notes. God never intended you and I to stay in Egypt. He intends you and I to progress forward. Be people of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is a progressive thing. It's seeing beyond all the time. It's your eyes open to see that when you're surrounded by an enemy, he opens your eyes and says, look at the angels and the surrounding are far greater. They outnumber everything that you're surrounded by. God has got bigger pictures for you. Never build roots with God. The Lord doesn't want you to build roots. He wants you to move forward and progress. Because if you build a root, it often becomes an idol in your life. Because if you stay in a place of success, if you say, this is what God has blessed me with, but you stay there, often, if you read the Old Testament and understand the New Testament, those things become idols in your life. And in fact, that blessing now becomes your God, as opposed to God who gave you the blessing 
being your God. One thing I've learned from that whole story is how easily we forget. You see, we watch how all those plagues and everything that took place in those people's lives. The Israelites had all those things. They saw the plagues of the, of the water being turned into blood. They saw the, the gnats, the lice. They saw the flies. They saw the frogs. They saw the, 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 the diseases on the animal. And ultimately what they see is the firstborn, every firstborn, whether it was animal or human, dying. And then we carry on with the story and we see all of a sudden, they've seen all this miraculous hands. They've seen how God has worked in them. In fact, the first three plagues you, uh, you see, that the, Egyptian, the Israelites are affected by those plagues. So when the, blood, the, 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 the Nile River was turned into blood, the Bible says that every cup and jar and reservoir of water was turned into blood at the same time. So the entire nation of Israel, uh, Egypt, their water source was turned into blood. And so there was nothing to drink. The Israelites were affected by that at that stage as well. Eventually God comes through, in fact, for seven days. So for seven days, effectively, I mean, we know people can't survive probably three days without water, but for seven days, that was the case. Eventually Pharaoh says, no, let's change it, in Egypt. And, and God removes that. Then, of course, the, the lice come. It affected the Israelites as well. But further on, as we see when the flies come, God distinguishes his people from the Egyptians. And he says, from now on, they will not experience the same thing as what the Egyptians are experiencing. So when the disease came on all the animals and all the animals died, Goshen survived. When the hail came and all the the corn and the, 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 the uh, food and the fruit on the, on the trees were damaged. There's prospered. And so what we see is we see a people who see the hand of God. And I want to say, you see the hand of God every single day. I see the hand of God in my life every single day until I face a trouble. Until I face a challenge. Then I'm very quick to forget. And you see, we learn from mankind. We're no different to the way they were. Because what happens? They see how God delivers them and saves them, and their firstborn are killed. Every single firstborn of the Egyptian nation died one day. Every single firstborn animal died, except them and the, and, and the animal. God had his hand upon them. Further down, we come across, we see how, how they, they chased out of Egypt. They leave Egypt, and then they, they, they're on their way to the journey. And eventually, God says to him, don't stop there. Go across to where the Red Sea is. Don't take the easy route. God doesn't send them on the easy route. He says, there's a short route, but I'm not going to send you on the short route because you're not ready for that short route. Sometimes you and I think we're on a journey, and that journey, we've got it under control. Sometimes you and I think that we can handle what lies ahead. God's working in the big picture behind the scenes and he's saying you're not ready for the short journey. I need to take you on the longer journey because there's things that you and I need to learn. 
there's some changes that need to take place. And of course, as they get to the Red Sea, they've got the sea on the one side, and one day they look back, and all of a sudden, all they see is the hilltops with the Egyptians who now decided, no, we're going to go and fight them again, because who? the, the Pharaoh suddenly decides, you guys can't leave now. And what do they cry? They cry out to God. They cry out to Moses. And they say to Moses, why did you bring us here? We could have died in Egypt, rather. Why do you want us to die in the wilderness? See, God promised them right every single step of the way. Before the plague came, he reiterated that I am God and I love my people. And I want you to come out and worship me in the wilderness. See, God wants you and me to worship in the wilderness. But our journey to the wilderness is full of doubt. And so they see all of a sudden this whole entourage of army. Psalms 106. David says this, verse 7, he says, Our ancestors were not impressed by the Lord's marvelous deeds. Our ancestors were not impressed by the Lord's marvelous deeds. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. How often are we rebelling against God because we forget the goodness that he's shown us? It wasn't long afterwards when they, when they got to where they were, were to be that they suddenly saw these people, this army, at the Red Sea. God is saying, don't forget. Hold fast to the things that are dear to you. Remember those times and those moments where God has shown his goodness. And I always, it's like a picture frame. If, you, if I go to most of your houses, I can guarantee you somewhere in your house, you've got some pictures of family or moments in time, places that you can remember, things that were, bring, that, that, that were good times in your life. God's saying, fill your life with pictures and photographs of moments where I've come through for you and let that be your leading light, not what you see, but the hand of God what you've experienced. God brings them through that. God delivers them from that. But at first, their first moment of rebellion, and of course after that, as they enter into the wilderness, we see how the, the Israelites rebelled day in and day out. God's provision, manna from heaven. Then it's, oh, we're so thirsty, we're going to die. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? We had everything. Reminded once again of what was behind. God saying, forgetting what is behind, I press on to lay hold of that which lies before. What Christ Jesus has laid hold of for us, that's what we pursue forward. That's where we go. He's got something bigger and greater for you and me. Step into it. Take hold of it. I'm going to just just some points I had you. I just wrote you. I said sometimes I think that I'm ready for the promised land, but perhaps not prepared for the journey of getting there. Allow God to prepare you for the journey that lies before you. There'll be moments of despair. There'll be moments, low moments. 
But if you continue to remember that the hand of God is with you, that he loves you, remember those picture frames, you will come through because he wants greatness for you. He wants far better for you. Every test, every battle, every struggle prepares you for the next one. The battle you're going through today is preparing you for the next one because our walk as a Christian, the Bible says we walk on a narrow road and we enter in through a narrow gate. It's not wide. It's not easy. It's a challenge. But we love Jesus and we work hard at it and we face the fights because God is dealing with character. He wants wholeness and completeness. If you go through a battle and God is trying to teach you patience and you walk through it and you've learned the patience, that patience becomes a strength in your life. Therefore, that next battle, you have a strength inside of your life. Something that makes you whole and gives you more ability to continue the fight. Not, every, not everyone will enter into the promised land. The sad story of that whole thing is not everybody of, the, of those Israelites entered into the promised land. Why? Because decisions that you and I make can affect the outcome of what God's plan is for your life. He has a plan for you. Let's stay dedicated and committed to what he has for us. Only God knows when you're ready. You see, the Israelites, when they, when they left Egypt, the Bible said they were dressed in their battle gear. They were dressed in their battle gear. They were ready for war. They thought they were ready for war. But as soon as they saw the Egyptian army, they faltered and fell apart, crying out to God. Only God knows when you're ready for the battle. God is committed to you being free. God wants the glory in everything. In everything we do. And we see in that story, he did everything that he did to the Egyptian people. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what the Bible said. Why? Because he wanted the story when it came out at the end to bring glory to God and God alone. And he will do whatever it takes to make your life bring glory to God and God alone. And in closing, Sometimes, some things, watch this one, and I'm going to finish on this one. Some things that need to drown before you can carry on on your journey. The Egyptians had to be led into the Red Sea. They had to be in that Red Sea. They're crossing on the dry land, but as the Egyptians came, the water fell. And I really believe that sometimes there's things in your life that need to drown. The fears of your past the despair that you have in your life, the hopelessness that you feel, the anxiousness that you feel, that needs to drown before you can continue on the journey that God has for you. He wants you to be whole and complete. And I can trust me, I'm never going to be whole, I'm never going to be complete. My day, one day, when I, when I breathe my last breath and I close my eyes and I enter into His holy of holy and His presence, that is when my completeness and wholeness, but I have a, an ambition in my life to walk as best as I can the way God wants me to walk. And I fail every day. I make the wrong choices. I move the wrong direction. But again, I'm reminding you the graciousness of God 
is that he doesn't just say, because you failed once, I'm going to throw you out. He's patient, he's kind, he's caring, he's loving. He wants to see the completeness in you. And he will continually remind us where we need to walk. So, Father, we thank you this morning that we can walk free in you. Thank you that your scripture is life. And even as I've just shared some of the thoughts in my heart, Lord, I pray that those thoughts and some of those points would take root in our life and that we would grow further and move forward. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and kindness.